but sometimes the things that we focus on, think about when you have that little cough that comes about this time of year and it sits right on top of your lungs and it's right here and, and you focus on it because you're, you're coughing so much. But I want the word of God to kind of be something like that. Not that it bothers you, but that it, in a, in a good way, it's what you focus on. And um, let this be that word. John Cox preached this message last week about increasing in peculiarity. And that's a strange word. Obviously, we don't use that a whole lot anymore. Uh, the word peculiar, especially when the King James translators were translating the Bible, uh, it really meant ownership is, is what the true definition of being peculiar means. It means that that thing is mine. It's set apart for me. It's not yours. It's not the world. It's not uh, unowned property that it's peculiar to me. And in that very sense, it's this word of God's chosen blood-bought people that we are owned and possessed by God himself. Uh, throughout the years, as peculiarity has lost its uh, real potency in the vernacular of English speakers, uh, we use that word in the sense, uh, I do a lot of crossword puzzles, and when you come across it, it's typically connotated with uh, weird, unwanted, odd, uh, something that is um, not desirable. And in that sense, from the world's perspective, Christians are that. That's what they think of us, that uh, if, if we could eradicate Christianity, uh, the world would be a better place. If we could get rid of religion, that, uh, that oddity that is religion, then people would be happier and healthier. But it's God's people, the church, that help keep everything in place in this world from turning into total chaos. God is at work. God's spirit is at work. Jesus is at the Father's right hand. He is sovereignly reigning over all of us. And God has appointed us as his plan A, as his church. And if the church, listen, you, you may ask yourself this question. If First Baptist Church Lowell were not to exist, would the city of Lowell be better off, worse off, or would it remain the same? And here's my prayer, and this is the vision for this church that this church, I mean, it, it, I would hope and pray that it would send shockwaves into every den and living room and bedroom of every person were this church to not exist. But since she does exist, that we may send those same reverberations that affect and change lives for the better of Christ, even if we're hated because we are living and loving and giving Jesus, that we would do that. Without, without fear, without shame of being a Christian, that we boldly live our lives for Jesus and that people know that. So the, the message that I want to preach this morning is just that. Uh, choose your love. It's the exact same verse that John preached last week, and I'm just looking at it from a little bit of a different angle. But I want to read the word. And it's John, 1 John, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. And... Uh, as normal, uh, I kind of give my translation or my uh, alliteration of the passage, and uh, you can absolutely uh, transpose that with yours, but I think you'll find that it's extremely biblical. Do not love the world or the things of this world, the things in this world. Your, your greatest allegiance shouldn't be to this place because one day everything that is here is going to burn. One day everything that uh, might have hooked your heart, the sports team, uh, the bank account, the house, the job, the career, 
the, the style. It's all going to disappear. It's transitory. It doesn't last. So don't hook your greatest hope to things that will not eternally make a difference. That's what he's saying. If anyone loves the world, now this is a gigantic statement. John has no middle ground here. He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Huge. And what he's saying there is that your love for God ought to supersede the love for created things. The creator ought to be magnified. The created things, God gave us things to enjoy. Go back and read Ecclesiastes. Solomon said that uh, the whole of life is to enjoy these things, but they're fleeting. Enjoy what God gives you. You know, there are moments, I will admit, that I think, man, I wish my kids were old enough to wipe their own rear ends or uh, do things like that, okay? Again, something you've never heard from the pulpit before. I wish my kids were old enough to go in there and pour themselves a bowl of cereal without getting milk all over the counter, down the drawers, into the tile. You know, there are things where I get frustrated and then I stop and think, dear Lord, I saw the time hop from two years ago and how tiny my babies were and here they are now and how quickly time passes by. Let me enjoy these moments, God. Forgive me for wishing any time away. Guys, at the end of your life, I promise you, you've seen it, I've seen it, we've felt it, we've held the hands of loved ones. All that you want at the end of your life, if you're, if you're given the privilege, and it is a privilege to be able to die uh, in a bed or not by some accident is really what I'm getting at here, if it's not sudden. But if you're given the privilege of dying where you have loved ones around you, your truck, your car, your house, your farm, your toys, your IRA, your bank account, in that moment, all of those other things pass away. They vanish. Sort of like uh, a couple of days ago, we had uh, the super cold, and you start your vehicle, and the exhaust comes out of the exhaust pipe, and before it reaches three or four foot up in the air, it's gone. That stuff doesn't matter. It slowly fades. But you have someone holding your hand and standing over you and telling you how much they love you. And you've got people that have hugged you. And you look around, and, and you realize that all that's really mattered is my relationship with the Lord and these people. It's not stuff. And you choose what you love. You go on to read there, for all that's in this world. And in seminary, we were told that this is called an un, A-N, A-N, <laughs> I'm a hick, uh, unholy trinity. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And um, that is for another message to describe what each of those things mean, but you can very much get this idea that the lust of the flesh, it's, it's carnality. Uh, it's not just sexual desire, but there's more to it than that. The lust of the eyes is this constant scanning around and being jealous. The pride of life is being so proud of who you are and what you have and thinking more of yourself than you ought to. Those things are dangerous for us. And he says, that stuff isn't from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away. Man, look around. The lust of it, 
All the allurements, the glitz and the glam, the sinful desires, they're going bye-bye. But the person who does the will of God will remain forever. And that ought to shape how you choose to live because your life and everything you do is a choice. How you respond to people, how you react to people, the time that you give to people. Worldliness, even for the believer, is a problem. I'll say this, the more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God decays in your life. Be very careful. The greater the things of this earth become, most often the less the things of God become to you. Whatever your portion is, that is what you'll live for and strive after. And guys, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that there's been a lot of my life that I, I have exchanged my life for the bondage of what this world can give. And you don't have a lot to show for it, okay? You certainly don't have a lot eternally to show for it when it's the world that gets all of your investment. Paul warned about this in Romans 12 too. He said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. You know, Eugene Peterson wrote the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase. Uh, we don't often recommend the Message Bible. If you've got the Message Bible, I want you to know that it's not a literal translation, that it's a paraphrase. Um, but there are times when the Message Bible has some pretty good value. And I want to share with you, because I think this is one of those, where it helps you to understand. Eugene Peterson wrote this Bible not to be mass marketed. It became that. But he was a pastor, and his people kept saying, when you teach us and you give us your translation, we like that. Could you keep doing books of the Bible like that for us? Well, eventually it caught on, and he was contacted by a publisher, and the message became a uh, published version paraphrase of the Bible. But I do like what Eugene Peterson says here about Romans 12 too. In the message it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I'm going to stick to my slides this morning, Jennifer, so you can go ahead and go uh, to the one that says worldliness is a heart condition. Um, truthfully, guys, when we talk about this, we call it secularism. Uh, churches are plagued with secularism because Christianity is a difficult thing to do. It's not easy, okay? There is so much allurement of the world that pulls us towards it that you can become what some people might call a secular Christian or a worldly Christian. That's not a good label for you, okay? I want to be a sold-out Christian to Jesus, not a Christian who, when it's fitting and appeasing to me, serves Jesus, and the rest of the time, I look no different from the rest of this fallen, lost world. I hope that when people see you, whether they see you at a ball game, whether they see you at a grocery store, out and about in the community, and they see you at church, that they see a homogenized person, a person that is consistent through and through without. That it's not this version of you and this version of you and this version of you, and you have to change masks to make sure who you're around, that you live with the peace and the security that Jesus is that person. And it's a hard thing to do, and it can't be done apart from the Lord. 
And the reason why it's so difficult is because it's not something that we can manipulate and control forever apart from the heart. Being secular, being worldly is a heart condition. And if your heart is consumed and captivated and captured by the world, if this is what matters, man, this stuff out here, all that matters is that, then what's going to happen? Well, you'll love the things of this world. What you give your time and your attention and your energy, energy to is what you worship. Okay? If all your time goes to this, if all your energy goes to this, if all your attention goes to this, then you worship that thing. A lot of people worship television. A lot of people worship sports. A lot of people worship their career and their job. A lot of people worship the flattery that they get from others. And that, that's their heart and their life. But what a poor, sad God that is. But if your heart is consumed, captivated, and captured by the love of God, you will be drawn to him. It's a natural reaction of the heart. You'll be drawn to him and to the things of God. And go ahead to the next slide. John draws a sharp line. We said this. If you love the world, you do not love the Father, and you must choose for yourself whom you love. Then you must keep loving. You can either love the world or you can either love the world or you can love the Father. But you can't love both. Like, how can that be? Well, look at your spouse. If a marriage is to work, I can't love Jennifer and love somebody else at the same time in that sense of what love is, what marital love is. Um, I would be unfaithful to one. I would be faithful to the other. I must choose to whom gets my devotion and my allegiance and my love, and my care and my concern and my time. Because to that thing go all of me. I follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do I treasure? If I treasure my wife, I'm not going to treasure another woman. I'm not going to uh, scorn my wife for someone else. The same is true with the Lord and with the world. You know, Israel was so bad about a spiritual adultery. They would seek after something else in the culture, some other God, some other form of worship, some other transitory richness, and they would exclude God. And as they did that, God's, God would judge them. They would fall under judgment for a season. After there was repentance and a crying out to God, God would redeem and deliver his people, and they would go back to God worship again, where they were faithful and true to the Lord for a season, and then they would fall back into spiritual adultery. And let that not be us. You must choose whom you love, and then you keep loving. You can either love the world or the Father, but not both. John is saying, really, what Jesus has already said in Luke 16, 13. And I've already alluded to this, but no servant can serve two masters. Either you will love the one, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. What's mammon? Stuff. That's a great biblical definition. It's not just money. Money isn't, money is neutral. If I had some money, I'd give it to you, okay? Uh, all right, pull it out and at least show you. My kids and my wife get all that, so. Uh, money, if I had a dollar bill here, that dollar bill is no more valuable than anything that we make it. It is completely morally neutral. It is a piece of paper with ink. 
But the love of money, which really means the lust for money, is the root of all sorts of evil. Because we make money a little g-god. And Jesus is saying here, you can't serve both God and stuff. I, I don't know if you're like us, we pay a monthly storage fee for junk that we don't need, right? And what a sad what a sad thing that is. I mean, if, if that storage building caught fire, we would still be A-okay in our lives. Because we really don't even know what's in there except all the accumulated spider webs and mouse droppings uh, that are with it. But I think about that, and I think, why do I need stuff? Yeah. How bad do I need stuff is maybe a better question. Is stuff what fulfills me? Is stuff what makes me feel like a real person, like I'm really valuable? If my status and my car and my home and my neighborhood and my style and all of those things are what define me, then what I'm, what I'm telling God is that it's not you that defines me at all. It's these things in this world. That's a very dangerous way to live. You have to make a fundamental decision in your life. You either live to know God and his eternal love, or you live for this world. And don't feel like going over there and visiting them. I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like going to church today. I do not feel like singing. There's a lot of things that you can turn on and off. But guys, when we get beyond feelings to truth, we realize what really matters. The truth of the matter is that world God, love sinful people. And you've heard it said, love the sinner but not the sin. It's true, but it's really hard for us to not love sin because this flesh, man, golly, this flesh, it's got a strong attachment to the world. But my soul and your soul are so much more important. Why would we forsake our souls for stuff that doesn't matter. Let it be a live to please the world. And we make up the church, and what's going to happen is sin will be in the camp. Lord, we're asking for you to eradicate sin in the camp this morning. Regular invitation, but Lord, to get the junk out of our lives, the stuff we keep hiding in those locked rooms. It's a heart condition to be secular and worldly. And Lord, the only heart surgeon that I know of that's capable of making this type of surgery successful is you. You're the great physician. And in us this morning, Lord God, some things make it and ungodly. And forgiveness, Lord God, and then let us watch you restore the fullness of joy to us as we walk out of this place cleansed and holy and ready, Lord God, to serve you in better ways.